CSN International presents To Every Man an Answer, the live apologetics program that equips you to give a reason for the hope that lies within you. If you have a Bible question or a question on the Christian faith, you can call us at 1 827 5276. Again, that's 1 888 Ask CSN. Let's get things started. Here's today's host, Mike Kessler. Hi, and welcome to Thursday, Tuesday's edition. Oh, we're all messed up here. Uh, welcome to uh, Tuesday's edition. Glad you've joined us. Looking forward to being with you for about the next hour as we set this time aside every weekday afternoon, answering questions about the Bible from the Bible. And so we just once again want to remind you to give us a call. 8888-ASK-CSN is the number to call. As we uh, anxiously look forward to talking to you, got a couple lines open. As a matter of fact, joining me today, special guest and featured CSN speaker Scott Parker from Festus, Missouri, Calvary Chapel. Hi and welcome. Hi, Mike. It's great to be with you today, as always, and thanks for having me. We're glad we're here. You're here. We just yeah. look forward. Pray you all had a wonderful uh, Christmas day and uh, Christmas holiday. Great opportunity to spend with friends and family. Remind them about the love of Jesus. You know, again, as I look at the world, I look at all the problems, man. I'll tell you, Jesus said, when you begin to see these things, look up, your redemption draws nigh. And I I see it not just one area, but it's a global issue. It's everywhere. And I believe this is one of the reasons why, plus the key of all biblical prophecy is the nation Israel, and in particular Jerusalem, and I believe the temple play such an important part in all of this. And so we're living in exciting times, and um, we just want to encourage you, keep looking up. Our redemption draws nigh. Let's go ahead and go to the phones we have. Maybe we have. Uh, who do we have? I don't know. Today's today's uh, Tuesday. I don't know. We're, 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 there we go. Okay, Mary, Fort Worth, Texas. Hi, welcome. Sorry, Mary. How can we help? Yes, I was um, I was telling right here that how do it is so hard to struggle with trying to forgive people after you've been hurt like most of your life. Yes. You know, I grew up in a home that was very hurtful, a lot of sexual abuse, a lot of. But then, then I get older and find a mentor that helped me to deal with so much of that. Then my daughters get older, and I find out kind of like the same thing. And it's just so hard. Like when it was me, I feel like I'll, I'll dig out of, I dig myself out of this hole. And I know that God will help me. And then sometimes I feel like we're back at square one when you find out it's your own children. Mary, you have to understand I, that the unregenerated human being is deprived beyond all measure concerning things right and wrong. We see a, a nation, our nation, that's forsaken God. Look at our value system. We don't even know what bathroom to go into anymore. What is right is wrong. Wrong is right. Uh, things that that should never be talked about in public are now being portrayed as normal. Well, when it comes to individuals and people in our lives and people that have been mean to us, I've been hurt a lot too in my life. I've, you know, I, I've had a lot of people say things and only to find out that nothing was true and and all these different things. You can't let that get to you. You have to remember, Jesus had Judas Iscariot. That was one of the 12. That was the ratio, one in 12, and he was God. Where does that leave you and me? 
But I have to realize that only by the grace of God go I. And if it wasn't for God's forgiveness in my life, I'd be just like him. And so uh, what God's called us to do is pray for him, forgive them. I have to have the posture to forgive them uh, because otherwise it'll eat me up. Unforgiveness does not hurt them. Unforgiveness hurts you. And remember when Jesus taught the disciples to pray, he said, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Interestingly enough, there's almost a correlation between us forgiving others and God forgiving us. But I believe that that's because it comes at supernatural, supernatural insight, realizing that man, apart from being born again, is their hearts are desperately wicked above all things. Who can know it? So how do you expect people that are desperately wicked to act? They are. They're abusers. They're liars. They're cheats. They're thieves. They're murderers. All those things. And that's why the Bible says your light, your salt, because a world that is completely deprived of any light, of any flavor, any preservative, we find what goes on now is whatever a person wants to do in their own eyes, that's what's okay. And the Bible says that's an evil, evil place to be. Scott, your thought. Yeah, you're exactly right, Mike. And you, you know, uh, Mary, when we look in the scriptures, um, the, the foundation that we're given when it comes to forgiving other people uh, for what they've done to us. Um, you know, Mike gave it to you there con- talking about, you know, Jesus has went to the cross and he took all of our sins upon himself to the cross. Um, not only did he take my sins, uh, but he also took all the other sins of all the other people who have done the wrong to me. And when you read in Ephesians chapter 4, in verse 32, Paul uh, encourages and exhorts the believers in Ephesus by telling them to be kind to one another, tender-hearted. And then he says this, he says, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. And so the, the basis for us for being able to forgive others is first realizing that our sins have been forgiven and the price that Jesus had to pay or that God had to pay to forgive our sins was him giving his own son to die on the cross for what I've done. And when I realize what it costs God to forgive my sins, then the, that being the foundation and basis then is, is what it takes for me then to be able to pass that same grace on to other people who have done me wrong. That's why Paul says, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. And, you know, Mike, the one thing I've, I've learned in my life is this. Um, and and I, I'm, I'm going to say this, and I'm, I'm not in any way, in, in any way am I trying to minimize at all um, the hurt that you're going through and, and everything that you're sharing here. Uh, because there's there's different levels of hurt, and, and I realize that, and I and I know that, <laughs> you know, um, so I wouldn't minimize it for nothing. Um, but you know, a lot of times, you know, when it comes to this issue on all different levels, um, you know, no one no one has sinned against me more than I have sinned against God. The, the debt that I owe God for sinning against Him. And the debt we all owe God for sinning against him is much greater 
than anything anyone has done to us. And again, that's relative when it comes to us comparing ourselves with each other because of what we've been through. Some of us have been through things that are way more horrendous than others. So I'm not minimizing that. All I am saying is this, is when we compare uh, what we owe God for our sins, it's a whole lot more than what other people owe us for what they've done to us. And so when you read what Paul has to say there, really that's the basis for being able to forgive is to realize, you know what, my sins may not be the same as someone else's sins, but my sins are just as bad uh, in the eyes of God uh, because my sins cost the life of his son for him to be able to forgive me. And so when I realize that, it, it, that, what that does is that now at least puts me on the right foundation and at least helps me to start to be able to be able to forgive others and for what they've done for me. You know, I heard Greg Laurie on the radio say many times, he says, you know, forgiven people forgive people. So those, those who have been forgiven are those who forgive. And, and only those who have truly been forgiven can pass on that grace to others. And, you know, when, when it's been something so traumatic, um, like this kind of abuse, um, you know, it does take a long time. It takes a long time to deal with it and a, a long time to, to, uh, to, to process it and really deal with it in our hearts and minds. But I think the starting place to deal with it is right there, realizing that, you know what, um, I, can't, I can't hold anybody uh, in debt to me for what they've done to me, uh, because if I can do that, then you know what? God could do the same to me, but he's given me grace. And so, you know, he's calling on me now to give that same grace to others. And so anyway, I hope that helps a little bit, Mike. Amen. I hope that helps. I, I just, I just have one more, more thing. Okay. The only thing, I, the first thing, first thing, the hate, the thing I hate is that sometimes people don't get confronted about it and other children get hurt. And well, I think, I don't think there's if, anything wrong here with confronting somebody of what they've done. Not at all. Uh, not at all. I, I think I think they need to, to to be confronted and and say, you know, I mean, bro, sister, mom, dad, friend, whatever, I love you, but what you did was really, really evil and really hurtful. And and um, because again, when people do what's right in their own eyes, who's to say what I'm doing is wrong? Because they have no moral conscience. That's what's wrong with our country right now. People do whatever they want to do, and they they and, and and it should be legalized to do whatever you want to do. See, and this is one of the great fears that that we as a people and as a, as a democracy we need to be careful of. See, a democracy says as long as you have fifty one percent of the vote, you can do whatever you want. So, if fifty one percent in a democracy says it's okay to kill your next door neighbor because they left the water going on your lawn, well, that would be okay to do that. But a republic, which the United States is, has a group of foundational laws that we stay within, and then we modify off of that. So when people say, well, America's a democracy and all you need is 51%, well, no, you don't. And that shows the ignorance of most people in America concerning our legal system, our judicial system, all those things. Because just because 51% says, yeah, it's okay to kill babies, doesn't make it right. And this is where we have to be very, very careful in, in, in the way we do. Well, again, when an individual says, well, 
I, I do I do what I want to do, and if I don't like somebody, I, I off them. Yeah, that's what I do. Oh well, the thing is, they're deprived. But it's not wrong to say what you're doing is wrong. Remember, John the Baptist was placed in prison because he said to Herod, it is not lawful for you, Herod, to take your brother's wife as your wife. Oh, they became incensed over that. How dare you bring any kind of morality or any kind of ideas of, of, of what's acceptable into a society that's decadent. So they put John the Baptist in prison and eventually cut off his head. So when you look at this, you have to realize that standing up for what's right or calling out somebody's sin may cause great rifts, maybe even your life. But that doesn't mean that we should not do that. Because you have to remember, they're morally deprived. They don't know. They're in the darkness. They can't discern their right hand from their left hand. And so therefore, when we come along and say, hey, as a matter of fact, not only what you did was wrong, but as a matter of fact, buddy, Jesus Christ loves you and will forgive you of your sins. So you got to remember, those things cut into their conscience. And the sins that we have committed through the years become part of us. That's why we need to get free from them. That's why the Bible says as far as east is from the west, God chooses to remember our sins no more. Why? Because we need to be separated from our sins because that sin is grinding on your conscience, grinding on your nerves, grinding in your, in, in, in your, in your uh, desire to sleep at night. It becomes part of this. Man, I'll tell you, spiritual wickedness uh, it, it, it will wipe you out. So... Understanding that, yeah, I think it's good that you call out those things, but we do it in love. We think about if I was involved in this sin, how would I want somebody to address me? But also not only that, but what to do about it. You need to take it to the cross and leave it there. Because otherwise, it's almost like we beat them up and they are not even equipped to know how to get forgiven. Hope that helps. It does. One more thing, the women, the Christian women, at work and myself had this very important question. Okay, so for example, I find out something happens to my daughter like right now. And I'm so angry. I leave work or wherever it is I found out. And I'm so angry and hating this person at the moment. And then I crash and get killed on the freeway because I was like all over the place. What happens to me then? I, I, just, I, I believe God does not grade us on a a minute-by-minute minute thing. He grades us on our commitment to Him, our heart to Him. Uh, we look all the way through the Bible, and we see great men of God that oftentimes lost their temper at people. Remember, Paul um, uh, said to the high priest, God smite you, you whitewashed wall. Wow! That's a pretty strong statement coming from Paul, who understands we're supposed to love one another. He said that to the high priest. In fact, even one of the people says, Dost thou revilest God's high priest? Paul said, I didn't know he was the high priest. Now, either maybe he didn't recognize him because he didn't have, you know, maybe his sight was bad. It was early in the morning. You know, it was still dark. Or maybe he was referring to he's not the high priest. Jesus Christ is the high priest. Whatever it was. We find that great people, people who love God, got angry. Um, that doesn't mean they're not saved. That doesn't mean that there's not what we call righteous anger. The Bible says, be angry and sin not. 
There's a lot of things we as Christians today should be angry about in a in a culture that has gone completely awry against the things of God. Again, read Romans chapter 1, and you get a pretty good idea just how far America, at least, has fallen away from God's principles. And so when we understand that, I, I believe again we have to we have to understand that yeah we're going to be angry over things we just want to be careful not to let that take away your peace and again Jesus said I give you peace not as the world gives the world gives us a peace that's based upon conditions Jesus gives us peace based upon his unconditional love that is always there realizing that, hey, God's going to see me through. God's going to give us the right words to say to these people that are so mean and keep me under control. They say in a prize fight, you see sometimes the heavyweight championship fights on TV or whatever. One part of their training is not just lifting weights, but some of it's psychological. And they say that one of the things they train the person that's fighting is to don't lose your cool in the fight. In other words, do your job, but don't start throwing wild punches because you're angry. Because when we're angry, we make mistakes. We say things we can never take back. We can ask people to forgive us for what we say, but we can never take those words back. We do things, we react things, we become violent, we hit walls, we do all kinds of stuff. Be angry, but sin not. And I believe that's so important. So no, if we got wiped out, uh, you know, whatever, you're, you're nailing a picture on the wall and you hit your thumb with a hammer as you're driving the nail to hang the picture and the rapture comes at that moment and you say a cuss word, of course you're safe. Don't, that's not what we're talking about. Anytime we would ever talk about a person that is distant from God, this is over a period of of years. It's a lifestyle. The Bible says, he who practices in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, such things will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. The key word there is practice. It's become an integral part of your lifestyle that you enjoy being in rebellion to God. He says you won't inherit the kingdom of God. So I didn't say it. Uh, Paul did. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. But from a, from a day-to-day thing or a minute-to-minute thing, there isn't a person I know that, that's a human being that, that loves God that at time hasn't said a cuss word or, or, or gotten angry or thrown a fit or whatever. Um, at least had thoughts. So no, Mary, I, I uh, let the Lord lift that burden off of you, okay? Thank you so much, Pastor. Um, I feel so, so much better. And God bless you guys for everything y'all do. Mary, I, that will give me a lot of peace because I'm just like, sometimes I don't want to talk to the people that, I don't want to talk to other people and it'll hurt other people too. You know what I have found, Mary? This is just true. If I've been hurt by somebody and I'm afraid to go talk to him because of, I might say, that, I want to wait a while till I'm settled in my relationship with God. How to best address this? Because remember, you can win the argument with somebody you're mad with, but lose the soul. And remember, the reason why we're all still here is to win people to the kingdom of heaven. So I, I don't want to lose sight of that, because if I do, uh, we can go around, well, I'm just going to tell that person off. Well, is that what God wants me to do? Or does God want me to show them, hey, what you did was wrong, but here, here, here's the thing, there's forgiveness involved. And just as what you did bothers me, I know down in your conscience, dude, it bothers you too. 
Because you see, God has given us a conscience. As messed up and as seared it might be, that's why Jesus said we must be born again. But people know when they're not right with God. That's why people drink. That's why people get loaded and stoned. They're trying to escape from who they are. Well, you know, I, you know, it's beer 30. I got to get my buzz on. Well, why do you got to get a buzz on? That's because you're not happy with you because evidently there's something deep in your soul that's bothering you to the point that you have to alter yourself to be able to live with yourself. Wow. If we start addressing the issue rather than the symptoms, I think a lot of things would go away. So again, Mary, we have to realize, and as hard as it is, and I'm not saying this is easy, but going back and saying, okay, Lord, I want to I want to reach out to this person. They've hurt me. I want to I want to you know they're they're going to hell. Good. That's where they need to go. See, that's the old flesh. But the spirit of God when Jesus laying on the cross, they were driving the spikes, forgive them, Father. They don't know what they're doing. And it's a truth because they're in darkness. Yeah. And we have to see that Otherwise, we will, we will render evil for evil. We will not be any different than people of the world. Jesus said, if you're only good to people that are good to you, what reward is that? Even the worldly people do that. It's when we can be good to people who despitefully use us. And friends, not do the retaliatory thing. And go and, and, and spend a little time and calm yourself down with the Lord. Then address the situation. But if we go to a person or correct our children or our husband or our wife in anger and wrath, you're not going to bring them closer to you. You're going to drive them farther away. So again, let every thought, the Bible says, be brought to the mind of Christ. So important in the hey, days Mike? we're in. Yes, go hey, ahead. Mike, can I share just one sure, more scripture with, with Mary? Mary, it, it, Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said this in Matthew five forty three. He said, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Jesus then went on to say, but I say to you in verse 44, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Now, what's interesting is when you look and see how Jesus says that we're to deal with those who are enemy and those who hurt us, Jesus says to do four things here. He says to bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, um, and then he, he says uh, to love them, bless them, uh, and then do good to them. And then the last thing he says is pray for them. Now, Mary, I will tell you that that, that is difficult. <laughs> in fact, in fact, uh, without apart the power from of the Christ, Holy, you can't. <laughs> without, right. Without the power of the Holy Spirit, it's impossible. But, you know, Mary, here's what I have found to be a big help. If you take those four things that Jesus gave us in how to treat our enemy, and if you, if you start with the last one first, which is pray for those, instead of, you know, in, in, instead of starting with loving them and blessing them and doing good to them, if, if you begin to pray for those first, I found it easier that when I pray for people, because for me to pray for people that I don't like <laughs> or people who have done me wrong— I don't have to be with them to pray for them. I can pray for them from a distance. And I can pray for them sincerely, but I don't have to be around them. But I find out what happens is this, is when I pray for my enemies, God changes my heart toward my enemies. Now, as I pray for them, he may also change their heart toward me. He may. 
But if he doesn't, one of the things he does is he changes my heart toward them. And then what happens is whenever I am around those people or when I'm in a position to where, okay, you know, they come up in a conversation or I happen to be around them or I have to deal with them somehow, then the Holy Spirit changes my heart toward them to where he gives me the ability to be able to treat them the way I should and not the way that, you know, I really want to. And so I think that's interesting, too, that when it comes to to getting through something like this, um, this is also a way I think the Holy Spirit works on our hearts is if we do what Jesus says there, but we reverse the order. (laughs) We pray for them first and let the Holy Spirit work on our hearts. Because I'm telling you what, if if there's two things you can't do with people you don't like, it's you can't pray for them and continue to not like them. And we can't eat with people we don't like. If you've ever noticed that, you, you never go to dinner with people that you're at odds with. Um, so what's interesting is uh, I can't fellowship with anyone uh, or, or even get to a place to where we can restore the relationship. Because as Mike said earlier, you know, when someone has sinned against us greatly like that, you know, people should be made accountable. And for there even to be any kind of restoration of a relationship, the, the sin does have to be dealt with. Uh, the people have to own it. And there needs to, it needs to be dealt with. But, you know, forgiveness happens on our end. That's different than reconciliation. But I think the process can start and it can help if you begin to pray for people first and then the Lord changes your heart. And again, as you pray for them, he might just change their heart too. And then that will give you the ability to love them, bless them, and do good to them. So I, I've just found in my life that that has been a big help. And plus, Jesus commands us to do it. So, Mike? Mary, I hope that helps. Thank you. I will do that. Appreciate it. That really, really helped. Bless you guys. Mary, stay online. Send you out some books, some DVDs. Uh, the movie Jesus, I think, will really minister to you. Just watch the uh, the story of the book of Luke of Jesus. It just calms your, your soul. Yeah, it does mine. I've seen this, this probably 35, 40 times. Every time I watch it, it's like the first time I've ever watched it. Because it's right out of the book of Luke. What you hear being read to you is, is the Bible. And it's really cool. It's really neat. So stay online. I'll send that out to you. And um, we come back. We're going to have Daniel, Michael, Roger, and Jennifer. So we look forward to talking to you on the other side of the break. And in that break, some great things for you. And then we'll be back for more. It's Every Man and Answer right after this. We'll be right back. So right now may be the perfect time for you to rethink how you pay for healthcare. And here's why. Not only is it open enrollment for a lot of people, it's also a time you can join MediShare and save even more than usual. And it's true. The typical family switching to MediShare saves 500 bucks or more a month, which is obviously huge for a lot of people. But what's more, they like it. MediShare has double the customer satisfaction rate compared to health insurance. Double. There are 400,000 members. They've shared over $4 billion in medical bills, and it really is a great community, too. People encourage and pray for each other. And here's the thing. If you join MediShare Complete right now, they'll waive your new member fees, and you'll save an additional 10% off all of 2023. That's right. No fee to join, 10% off every month of next year, but it's a very limited-time offer. You have to sign up before December 31st. 
Great savings, great health care. Find out more. Call now, 855-91-BIBLE. That's 855-91-BIBLE. 855-91-BIBLE. As the days grow darker, children are under more attack than ever, and it starts at conception. Sadly, one in five pregnancies will end in abortion. But in the midst of this awful tragedy, there is something you can do about it. Preborn Pregnancy Clinic's mission is to equip pregnancy centers nationwide to help save babies' lives and souls. And every day, preborn clinics rescue 150 babies' lives by introducing mothers to their babies on ultrasound. That ultrasound changed everything for me. It really did. That made it all worthwhile to know that I was going to have a little blessing. And when she got here, it was just, oh my gosh. Preborn clinics are the largest provider of free ultrasounds in the country, introducing moms to their preborn babies. To learn how you can help rescue a baby's life, go to preborn.com. That's preborn.com. Or call 855-668-BABY. That's 855-668-BABY. All gifts are tax deductible. Welcome back to part two of Terry Man and Answer here on this Tuesday afternoon with Scott Parker. I'm your host, Mike Kessler, and we're going to go right back to the phones. We have Daniel on the line in Colorado. Hi, welcome. Hello. Yes, um, I just had a question. I received a uh, cultural background study Bible. Yes. And I was wondering if you guys um, have read it or have any reviews on it. From what I've read about it, I think it's a good thing. And and I think it's always good to understand sometimes the culture in those days. <clears throat> What's really interesting, uh, uh, yesterday, uh, or uh, Christmas morning, Sunday, we talked about who named Jesus. Jesus. Interesting. Joseph did. A lot of people don't know that. The angel told him, just as he told Zachariah, his name shall be called John, and Zacharias was hit with with uh, being mute, and he was handed a tablet at the dedication, and he wrote, his name will be John. They couldn't believe it, because you always name the child after yourself. Zacharias didn't do that. His name will be called John. That was the father's responsibility. Isn't it great to know our father in heaven has given us a brand new name as well? Isn't it interesting that Joseph is the one that set the course for the family to take them to Egypt because Herod sought the young child's life? Don't you know that our Father in Heaven sets our direction in our life as well? When I look at this, I realize the culture is important to understand. You know, in the, in the, in the Orient right now, like if you go to China or whatever, if you're sitting in a circle, like for instance in a Bible study, it's extremely rude to let anybody see the bottom of your feet. You always want to keep your feet on the ground. You don't cross your legs where half the room or the half the group in the circle can see the bottom of your feet. It's a high insult because the streets are dirty and people see the bottom of your feet. That's really a, an insult. In certain cultures around the world, as missionaries go to minister to them, there are certain things that we in America take for granted as you know, just normal life. Well, in certain cultures, women have to cover up. They have to do certain things. It isn't that that we are not free in Christ, but if you're trying to reach a group of people 
We have to be careful of that. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul talks about a man having long hair, a woman, a woman having her hair covered. But he said, we have no such customs as these, nor do the churches of God. It doesn't say it's a sin for a man to have long hair. It does say it's a shame. And if I saw some guy with his hair dragging in the dirt, I'd say, man, that's a shame. Um, but it's a custom. We don't go to heaven because our hair's long or short, or a woman's head is covered or uncovered. But the culture may build a wall against our message because we haven't understood. Well, in the cultural Bible, it explains a lot of these cultures. As an example, as a lot of people don't know this, you see a couple getting married um, in a church service. And there, underneath a hoop that has been put up, underneath this hoop, you'll see them reciting their vows. Oh, isn't that a beautiful, lovely wedding ornament? No, it's not. If you go back to Hebrew tradition, if you got married under a hoopah, that's what that's called, the man then was committed to you to never take you into the wilderness against your will. In other words, you would always have the comforts of a city if you were married under a hoopah. Now, it's interesting to me that we have not only the rainbow, which is a type of hoopah, but we also have the emerald rainbow in heaven in our eternal home where God lets us be with him forever and even to rule and reign with him. So we start understanding the cultures and all these different things. I think it, it really sometimes really expands what the Bible is saying. Your thoughts, Scott? Yeah, you're exactly right, Mike. And, you know, um, Daniel, any, any kind of book um, that you can get um, from, you know, a good quality uh, Bible publisher uh, that's going to give you background to the Bible is always, always helpful. There's many different, many different kinds. Um, I have in my library, I have several of them. Uh, and what they are is they're just, they're basically... Uh, you know, books that just give you the customs of the day, and they'll they'll go with, and, and like the ones I have. I mean, they're all usually divided into different subjects, like um, you know, all the different parts of life that that uh, the Bible deals with. You know, uh, everything from the clothing people wore to what they ate, how they worked. I mean, just every facet of life is usually covered. Uh, in those kind of books. So I think I, I, I'm not familiar uh, with that particular study Bible. I don't have that one. Uh, but if Mike says it's good, I'm sure it is. And again, any any good book from a good, you know, reputable Bible publisher um, that can give you the background and can give you customs um, of the people of the day in the Bible is only going to enhance your Bible study and help you, uh, you know, help you to be able to keep the Bible in context. Um, not only just reading it in context, you know, um, you know, chapters and verses and things like that, keeping those in context when you're reading it, but it will also help you to keep it in context when you know a little bit about the customs of the day and the, the cultural backgrounds and things like that. So, Mike? Hope that helps, Daniel. Yes, thank you so much. Daniel, stay the line. We'll send you out some books, some DVDs. I think you'll really enjoy. Happy New Year to you. Let's go to Michael in Oregon. Hi, welcome. Hi. In uh, Genesis 15, when Abraham um, was being told by God that he was going to inherit the land. Yes. Um, he asked the Lord, how shall I know that I shall inherit it? 
And the Lord said, take me a heifer of three years old, a female goat, a ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon, and divide them in the midst. But it says, uh, do not divide the birds. Mm-hmm. I was just wondering, um, how do you, is there any way to tell how he divided them? Like, you know what I'm saying? Did he, did he cut them down the spine? It, it, it sounds like he cut them in two. And the the reason why people say, well, what was just the cutting? That's a sign. Oh, yeah, cut an animal into a big deal. No, no. The rest of it says, and then God, like with fire, passed between this carcass of this animal that was cut in two. And that is where, again, Abraham, you might say, came face to face with with uh, with with God. You do this, cut this animal in two. And then God shows up and walks between uh, this this uh, animal that was divided. Your thoughts? Yeah, exactly. And what's interesting is in that day and time, this is literally where we get the the term to cut a covenant. God is God is um, how should I say this? He's ratifying his covenant with Abraham here. And what was interesting in those days and time. If you wanted to go into covenant with another person, you want to make a contract with them in a covenant, what you would do is you would take an animal and you would split it in two. You would cut it in two. And if you look at different translations, um, it, will, it, it will say that. It will say either cut it in half or cut it in two. And you cut the animal in two pieces, okay, right down the middle. And what would happen is, is each person who was taking part in the covenant – would walk between the two pieces. And so what would happen is, let's say if me and Mike were making a covenant, I would make promises to Mike, he'd make a promise to me, and then we'd cut the animal, and we would, we would then walk between the two pieces. As we're walking between the two pieces, what we are demonstrating is this, is just as this animal has been cut in half, if I don't keep my word and... and you know, and, and keep my covenant to you and the promise I made, then let what happened to this animal happen to me. Let, let me be cut in two, uh, you know, if I don't keep my word. So it, it, it was a serious way that people showed, hey, I promise to do something for you. Um, and, and that was what the point was in cutting the animal apart and then walking between it. And the two parties that walked between it is who was responsible for keeping the terms of the covenant. Now, what I think is interesting is when God made this covenant with Abraham, if you notice, he puts Abraham to sleep, and then God shows up, and God is the one who is seen walking through the midst of the, of the uh, pieces of the animal by himself. Now, I, think it, I thought it t- takes two to make a covenant. Well, it does, but in the Abrahamic covenant, the, prom- the, the promises that God's making to Abraham – This is God promising Abraham, here's what I'm going to do for you. It's not what Abraham's going to do for God. And so with this covenant, God is promising Abraham that he's going to give him children. And from from those children is going to come a nation. He's going to give him a land. But what's going to happen is, is through that nation, there's also going to come another man who will be the Messiah, who ultimately is the Savior of the world. And so what we're looking at here is literally the, the foundations of the promise of salvation by grace through faith. It's, it's 
you know, we, we, re, we receive salvation through faith in what Jesus did for us, not what we do for him. So the, the covenant that we have with God by faith is through what Jesus has done for us. He was the one who was, if you could say, if you could say it this way, so to speak, cut in half. He was the one who took our sins. He went to the cross and he literally was held up on the cross, you know, with both of his arms out as if he was cut in two, fulfilling the covenant that, that God would make with us in, in the new covenant to forgive our sins and, and that we could become his people. Well, we didn't have to do anything. That was all God doing it. That was all God sending his son and doing that so that by faith and through grace, we could we could receive the benefits of what Christ has done for us, which is eternal life. And really, that's the point here. The point here is God puts Abraham asleep, so Abraham really doesn't have anything to do in this covenant except believe the promises God has made to him. And it's the same way with the gospel. Jesus has already done it all. Jesus has already took our sins to the cross and rose from the dead and ascended to heaven. Now how are we saved? We're saved by faith in what God has done through Christ. So this is a, this is a beautiful portion of Scripture. Um, and the fact of that covenant being cut between God and Abraham, God is saying, hey, Abraham, you rest. You go to sleep. I'll do all the work. I'm going to make you a promise. And in fact, the way that you're justified and made right is by believing what I'm believing in what I said I'm going to do for you. And in fact, if you go up to verse six in Genesis 15, um, the Bible says that because Abraham believed the Lord, that God counted it to him for righteousness. So how we are made righteous before God is not through anything we do; it's through our faith in what God has already done through Christ. And this is really the basis of it here. Mike? Amen. Michael, hope that helps. Um, I have a question more on it. Uh, you guys skip a lot of parts about it. The, the heifer and the female goat and the ram being cut, but not the birds. Why? Well, I believe that that is also a symbol of life. Now, see, again, uh, we remember that uh, if you do a study on birds in the Bible, generally speaking, birds are not a good thing. However, sometimes they are, as in the case where the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus at his baptism, this is my beloved son, which whom I'm well pleased. We remember when Noah set the, the raven loose and, and uh, the dove and all. Finally, the, the dove didn't come back. It, it found a place to go. Uh, I believe that, that the idea of two was one representing uh, God, the other one representing uh, Abraham, and that God allowed them to understand that this was going to go on, not just here in the fire between the animals, but that it was going to go on um, very much the same way the the dove did when it left the ark. It's going to continue. It's not just a promise for today, but a promise for forever. Any last thoughts? No, Mike, I think that's good. And, and, and two, you have to also remember that when it comes to the turtle dove and the pigeons, those were, those were when God instituted the law, those were the, the offerings for people who were poor. And they're very small animals. So 
the, the whole, besides what you shared, just the whole thing of taking that small animal and cutting those into two pieces, there's really no point in that. But the other animals are bigger. But these are all animals, though, that when you come to Moses' time and God gives Israel the law, that all, all, these, all of these animals are included in the sacrifices in the law. So it's just, again, you know, just what everything is pointing to is is sacrifice that that there has to be a price paid here uh for these promises to be received you know somebody's got to pay a price and that's kind of what the point is in cutting the covenant between the two so hope that helps mike it did a little bit all right well um i i mean we'd love to spend maybe because really to go into great depth it would take hours literally for a uh, but there's a lot of good commentaries uh, you can go to blueletterbible.org, uh, and certainly uh, 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 Gusick has a lot of really good words to say, as well as uh, Chuck Smith's study on this as well. Blueletterbible.org. When you go there, it'll say study guide. You can hit at that. Go to the printed copies, and then you can go right into that, and that'll give it to you because. Uh, I, I realize you, and I, I really commend you for having a hunger like this to really find out these things and what these mean. And and again, they would bring sometimes two two birds uh, for the priest when they had sinned. One was slain, the other one was let go. Uh, and and these all tie in together. And so if you go there, I think that'll really help you. And um, stay in line, Michael, if you like, send you out a couple of books, a couple of DVDs I think you'll really like. Great for evangelism. And let's go to Roger in Minnesota. Hi and welcome. All right. Thank you for taking my call. Um, I am saved drunk. In fact, it's by God's grace that um, I'm able to talk to you guys on the phone tonight. And so I praise the Lord for that. And I, a friend and I were talking about uh, should a Christian go and have a alcoholic beverage just, you know, to kick back or have one with a meal. And I am saying no because of my background and my experience with booze. And I was thinking of three points. Number one is myself. What's my tolerance for the beer? Uh, it, I could feel it after one beer. And maybe I'm not running around doing stupid things physically, but uh, my thought life is being uh, affected and just the intent of catching a glow, um, you know, is, I I don't feel is right. Number two is um, if there's a younger brother in the uh, facility, you know, and he sees me having a beer or a drink or something, and he's going to think, wow, Roger's an older Christian. Uh, He's drinking. I'm going to drink too. And then he ends up getting picked up or something or, you know, or more tragic. And then it's a testimony of my church that, uh, hey, Roger goes to this church and they're supposed to believe that uh, alcohol, you know, drink, getting drunk is a sin. And here he is. He's he's drinking and, uh, you know, hypocrisy, hypocrisy. And uh, I just at the risk of sounding legalistic. Uh, I'm, no, no, not I'm, at all. In fact, in fact, um, uh, uh, Proverbs 20 says wine is a mocker. And strong drink is raging, and those that are deceived by it are not wise. He also goes on to say, wine is not for kings, because it affects your judgment. Now, people will say, well, Jesus drank wine. Well, the thing is, I don't believe he was drinking wine to be one of the boys. I think in those days, there was, a, uh, there was an acceptance 
at dinners where you would do this because the water wasn't fit to drink in many places. The alcohol content was very low. When Jesus turned the water to wine, I believe that was alcoholic. Probably not at the level of booze today, but nevertheless, the guests said, oh, you've kept the best for last. So evidently, its taste was very good. But the point we have to remember is this. Jesus never condoned drinking. The Bible doesn't condone drinking. In fact, the Bible says um, wine and those things are for those that are perishing. It's a painkiller. It's when you're dying, you, you want to numb the pain. That's what that's about. When Jesus was on the cross and he was in such pain, they offered him sour wine mixed with gall, which was a painkiller, if you will, and he refused it. So when I look at that, I realize now when you go to Ephesians chapter 11, and he says, be not drunk with wine or in excess, but be filled with the Spirit. That is not an honorable suggestion. If you read it, it's a command. Be not drunk with wine or in excess. In other words, there's no place in a Christian's life to get a buzz on or to get a high on because that is not what the Bible says. We're to be instant in season and out of season. And if somebody comes up and asks me a question about the Lord and, uh, you know, I've been drinking, wow, (laughs) you're going to give them a goofy answer. And just as you said, Roger, you ruin your testimony. Um, you got to be real careful. The Bible very clearly tells us for pastors, they're not to be drinking, period. Um, uh, now, if you're a deacon, not given to much wine, I believe that, again, not only speaks of, of your tolerance, but also speaks of your testimony. But I don't think ministers should be drinking at all. And well, you know, I'm I'm not uh, I, I I'm a pastor, but uh, you know, I'm not on call tonight, so I can do a little bombing away here. No, you're wrong. You're in sin. That's all there is to it. Because I have to ask the question: Why are you drinking? Evidently, you don't like you very much. If you've got to get altered to get a buzz on, so you can tolerate yourself, that tells me that Jesus is not Lord completely of your life. No. I, I know that's maybe a little brutal, but you know what? You know, there's this problem with sipping saints, and the problem is we really do wreck our testimony. And many people who have come out of alcoholism are tripped back up and get back into alcohol, not because they're going to the bars, because they're hanging around sipping saints. It's a real problem. Yeah, you know, uh, alcohol can be used for different things. Uh, alcohol can be used to remove um Stains from clothing. It can also be used to remove uh, your family from your home. It can be used to remove your home from your home. It can be used to remove you from your home. Yeah, alcohol is a great remover. You just got to be real careful. And I believe that's why the Bible says what it does. You know, if you never drink, you'll never be an alcoholic. And that's, to me, real good news. Your thoughts? I agree with both of you for the reasons you both gave, because you both gave great biblical reasons for not drinking alcohol as as a believer, and especially, Mike, as you said, as a pastor and as a church leader. But, you know, also, too, Paul said this to the Corinthians. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6.12, he said, all things are lawful for me. In other words, as a Christian, I'm free. I can do what I want. But all things are not helpful. It's not helpful for a Christian to drink alcohol. 
He goes, all things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. And the best way not to get drunk is not to drink because it has the potential to bring you under its power. And so I think the best way to, to, you know, to steer clear of that, to, to keep your testimony intact, and to steer, steer clear of even getting addicted to it is just to abstain from it. And you do that, guess what? The game's over. This issue's done, you know. And I think Paul gave us great advice as well there in 1 Corinthians 6.12. Mike? Amen. And if you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 10, it says that these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, uh, this is New Testament. This is after Jesus established the church. He ascended to heaven. Paul is writing not to a bar. He's writing to Christians who have evidently been deceived going back to um, the verses right before it. Do not be deceived. Um, And so we just need to be real careful. It's one less place where the devil can get you. And just think of the money you'll save and the DWIs you'll save and the cars you'll save from not hitting trees and cars and people. No, you're going to be a long way ahead by leaving that stuff alone. You know, God made you the way you are because he loves you and he doesn't want you modified. I think that's really cool. Hope that helps. Yeah, um, you mentioned uh, uh, David Guzik to the last caller, and I did look up what he had to say, too, and he actually brought up intent of, of uh, going for a drink. Well, sure. Why, why do people drink? They want to forget. Why do people drink? They want to be modified because something is not right inside of them, which drives them to getting loaded or drinking. It's the same problem. You're modifying yourself because something's not right in yourself. Oh, we in America today, we're experts at dealing with symptoms. We're terrible at dealing with problems. Roger, I hope that helps. Stay in line. We'll send you out a couple of books, a couple of DVDs, okay? Thank you so much. God bless you. Let's go to Allison, Bemington, New York. Hi, welcome. Hi. Uh, it's Binghamton, New York. But uh, my question is about um, Revelation 5, 6. Yes. Um, when he's talking about, when God is talking about, he has seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent yes. out into all the earth. Mm-hmm. And I know you've addressed this before, but um, I didn't. I don't, I still am lost. We're almost out of time, but let me just tell you, if you go to Isaiah chapter 11, starting in verse 2, it says, the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. That's number one he'll do. He'll rest upon you. He's the Spirit of wisdom, the Spirit of understanding, the Spirit of counsel, the Spirit of might, the Spirit of knowledge, and and the Spirit of the fearing of the Lord. There's seven of them listed there, and that's the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. There's not seven spirits, but there's seven manifestations of the spirit mentioned there in Revelation, found again in Isaiah uh, chapter 11, verse 2. So, Allison, if that doesn't answer, you're welcome to call us back. Elsie and Val, call us back. We'll put you on first thing. Thank you, Scott, for being on. Thanks for having me, Mike. Always a blessing. See you tomorrow. To find out more about this ministry or to receive a copy of today's program, please call 1-800-357-4226 or write us to Every Man and Answer, P.O. Box 391, Twin Falls, Idaho, 83303. That toll-free number is 1-800-357-4226. 
Subscribe to the free podcast on iTunes by searching for To Every Man and Answer in the iTunes store or visit us online at csnradio.com slash T-E-M-A. To Every Man and Answer is a production of CSN International, the Christian Satellite Network. The opinions expressed by our guests may or may not be those of CSN International or of this station. 